Welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 30. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the eighth episode of season two, Dream a Little Dream. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of Dream a Little Dream. Zan and Crichton are stuck on a dead module, and she keeps having visions of what might have happened at the end of season one. With images of the crew's death stuck in her head, she tells John about Litagara, the planet she, Rigel, and Chiana visited while searching for John, Dargo, and Aaron. In flashbacks, she tells John about being put on trial and imprisoned for a murder she didn't commit on a planet that worships the law. This is a really odd episode. It was originally meant to be the season two opener after Family Ties, but I'm really glad they moved it because while Zan's emotional journey of facing her loss and grief over having left John and Aaron and Dargo surrounded by the peacekeepers and floating in space near the gamut base, it's relevant and it's really good to the beginning of season two after Family Ties. The actual plot of her being framed for murder on an alien world of lawyers is kind of weird. (laughs) Yeah. Weird, but I love it. I think this is actually one of my favorite episodes of Farscape. I can't really tell you why because it doesn't have like it doesn't have two of my favorite characters, namely John and Aaron. Yeah. But at the same time, like I just I love it so much. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for me to explain why, really, because I I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Like I like this episode a lot, too. I think it's a very solid episode. And I think one of the reasons I like it so much, even though it's really weird, (laughs) is there's this really strong underbelly of feelings going on. Mm -hmm. So you have Zan and her journey of she feels so alone because her support system of of Aaron and Dargo and John, who are the other adults on the ship, shall we say, and they're gone and she feels responsible for Pilot and Moya and keeping them safe. And she feels responsible for Chiana and Rigel, who she sees as kids who are irresponsible and, you know, aren't capable of being helpful. So she's in this really dark place of her own. And then you have Rigel and Chiana in their own way, really stepping up and showing how much they care about Zan. And... There's so many feelings that are kind of understated and in the underbelly of this. Yeah, yeah. I think this, I think you definitely hit a nail on the head with it being a feeling episode because I like the plot a lot too because it is very episodic. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's not a lot here that carries on from one to the next. But at the same time, it, I don't know, it just pushes a lot of my buttons. I love seeing Chiana and Rigel, two characters that really enjoy being children being forced to step up and, you know, bring their A game. Yeah. I love seeing Zan, who's a character that we've kind of come to know as, even though we've talked about how the series kind of inverts that trope a little bit of like the mystical priestess, at the same time, we have come to know her as a character that really does have her, you know, have herself together. Yeah. Yeah. And seeing her just falling apart. And plus, I don't know, I just, the... The plot is so simple and, like, so fundamental that it's easily understood. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It, it didn't have the taking the stone problem where, like, you were so caught up in, like, how the backstory didn't make a whole lot of sense mm-hmm. that it almost took away from the episode. In this case, yeah. it's like, 
I understood what was going on. Right. The The plot was simple enough to give the character stuff really room to breathe. Because I definitely had that problem with taking the stone where, you know, I just got so distracted by trying to figure out what was happening. But one thing about this that I really like is it's everyone's outside of their comfort zone. And I think mm. maybe that's the other thing with the whole feelings thing that really I love stories that put characters really far outside their comfort zone. Because this time it's Zan who needs rescuing, whereas she feels like she ha- is the one who is the adult who needs to be doing the rescuing of everybody else. Like she's trying to find Aaron and Dargo and Crichton. They're searching, they're searching, they're searching. But now she is caught up in the situation where she needs someone to come find her. And she wants it to be Aaron and Dargo and John. Like she wants them to come and find her, but it ends up being Rigel and Shiana who save her instead. And I just really love that. And it puts Chiana and Rigel outside of their comfort zone and having to be honest and truthful within the rules of Litagara, which is this world ruled by lawyers and the rule of law. And it's just really, really fun to see that. Yeah, I know. I love I love their scenes when they are like forced to be honest. Oh, it kills <laughs> me. I love it. So actually, let's just dive in. Yeah. It starts with what's happening at the end of season one with Aaron and her prowler. John and Dargo floating in space. And then it kind of takes a twist. And it's not something that we actually saw occur because obviously it didn't occur, which is Aaron is suddenly discovered and Dargo is dead, not just half dead. And John's space helmet starts cracking and all of his air escapes. And so this flashback ends with the three of them dead, not just in dire straits like we saw them at the end of season one and the beginning of season two. Then all of a sudden, Zan wakes up. Yeah, it's her nightmare. Yeah, it's her nightmare. And so John confronts her about it. And she says, well, did you ever talk to Rigel and Chiana about what happened on Litagara? And John is like, oh, yeah, they said to ask you. And it's interesting to me because I had completely forgotten this episode. And then you reminded me of it back at the beginning of season two. And I don't know. Yeah, I'd completely forgotten this episode. But once I started watching it, like, I was like, oh, yeah, this is one of my favorites. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's this little odd thing. It was filmed first. And then they realized that they it didn't make a good fit for the season opener, which I think that's true. And so they moved it and then they put this framing device around it with Zan and John and the transport pod. So the references in Mind the Baby, I think we mentioned it in the podcast, where Zan comes back kind of all out of it and deep in the Delvian Seek and Shiana's worried about her and they mention the name Litagara. And so that's the reference there. This is what happened after they starburst away. This is one thing that I I heard as like they were gone for like 20 solar days. That feels like it's a wrong continuity thing to me, but I don't know if that's super important. Now that I'm thinking about it, I think, yeah, in Mind the Baby, I think they mentioned that Dargo was only unconscious for like three days or eight days. Three days, I think, something like that. Yeah. Shorter time. Yeah, it was definitely an order of magnitude off (laughs) from 20 days. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then my other thing was I was like, I could see Talon maybe having enough food for like a few days, but I don't know where they would have gotten the food to survive for three Mm -hmm. weeks. Yeah. The only thing I could think is that Crace brought rations with him, but... I don't know. That's a complete hand when he wave. he kidnapped Talon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he brought rations on his kidnapping. That was hilarious. Well, he was escaping the peacekeepers. So back to Little Gara. So Zan is desperately asking around at all the bars if they've, they've seen our illustrious trio who are not, not present. Meanwhile, Rigel is getting ass over tea kettle drunk and Shiana is off doing similar bad habits. 
Zayat is really having a hard time holding it together. She is desperate. You could hear it in her voice. You could see it on her face. She is like falling apart. And meanwhile, Pilot and Moya, and Moya really behind this, wants to go back and find Talon. And so there's this time pressure of, of Moya wants to leave them. Mm-hmm. She is getting to the point where she wants to leave them behind to go find her son. Yeah. And I want to play a little bit that shows kind of the turning point where Zan is like, okay, we have to confront the fact that we're finally alone. She now demands that you return to the ship at once. Demands? She believes that she has been more than accommodating in your search. Perhaps it is time to accept that their fate, whatever it may be, does not include us. Tell Maya we'll begin the search for young talent as soon as we return. What? You can't be serious! I want Silence, both of you! I've seen the way that you two have handled your anxiety over the fate of Aaron Crichton and Dargo. I hate to think of how you're now going to handle your grief and your loss. So her voice is breaking there and she's crying on screen too because she doesn't want to give up. But she is starting to recognize that this is all, you know, there are long shots and Moya will leave them behind what i think is kind of cool and interesting though and this is where that whole underbelly of feelings comes out is chiana and rigel don't want to give up the search either mm-hmm. you know rigel was the one who betrayed them and in, in the end of season one ready to sell them all out and only kind of mildly feeling guilty when it didn't work out and now he is he's the one who's like no what are we doing we have to keep looking for them and chiana also and it's this is one of those episodes where everyone's so stripped down you can see how much they really care yeah and what I love about that scene is that Zan is like crying as she's saying this and she's so frustrated and you can tell that like all three of them are adults but Zan is having to act like the most adult do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean yeah she's having to be the she's having to be the leader which is clearly not a role she's super comfortable with she's much more comfortable being kind of the not like a follower but kind of the supporter you know the counselor she's not yeah the counselor the you know the person that you know people come to with their issues and it's really interesting to me just kind of seeing her step up and seeing what that looks like and seeing that for her it's not really a good fit and it's not something that makes her really comfortable yeah Also, yeah, I just, we know Chiana cares about everybody because Chiana and John have a good relationship. Chiana and Dargo kind of have that burgeoning something. But at the same time, yeah, Rigel just betrayed them. And in way back in Through the Looking Glass, Rigel was the first one to be like, do you think we can trade Moya in for like a faster ship? So you would think he would be the first one to be like, okay, time to cut and run, you know, but he's not. He's like, he's really genuinely upset about possibly losing the crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of cool to see those things start to come out and you see them throughout. So what happens next is that one of the Litigarans, so Litigar is a world of 90% lawyers. This is why it's so weird. It's like, let's talk, can we talk a <laughs> second for about the world building? Because yeah. it's so clearly drawn off of like Western judicial systems. And it's like the evil of lawyers is like this meta argument that's going on. Because it's like 90% lawyers, they're real sticklers for the letter of the law. They have all these books about it that that control what's how everything works. And I don't know, it's just so weird. Yeah. <laughs> so my reaction to this planet is the planet is totally weird. Yeah. 
Well, okay, I have a couple of things. Number okay. one, uh, I love the the building of this world because it reminded me so much of Blade Runner. Like yeah. everything in it reminded me a lot of Blade Runner in terms of the set where it's we never see Litagara in the daytime. It's always like it's always night and it's always raining. And it's in, always back alleys. Yeah. Yeah, it's like always back alleys. So it was very, very Blade Runner in terms of the set design. And then all the characters are wearing like this super eighties, like pleathery shiny (laughs) stuff and I'm like uh in my notes I'm just like it's Blade Runner and everything is good (laughs) and and then like the makeup is interesting and they all wear these hats and I assume that's just because they didn't want to figure out what litigar and hair looks like (laughs) yeah you see like two people's hair that's it but so I actually assumed that the 90% lawyers they weren't like full-time lawyers the way that like Lawyers in the U.S., it's not like every single lawyer is in court all day long. Like, there's, like, a lot of people that do stuff like um, contract law or, you know, stuff that you don't actually leave an office to do. So I actually kind of assumed that, for example, I assumed that the police officers were actually just lawyers also. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, that's the assumption because they're not utilities, right? Yeah. Because utilities is, like, that 10% second-class citizen that the... The person that Zan was framed for murder was like trying to reform it so that the laws were more equal for these these second class citizens. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So how much is it inherited? How much is it, you know, social class, a way of describing that? Because there's also like the law firm that governs. So you imagine that the people who are part of that law firm do actually a lot more governing than actual lawyering, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Such a weird planet. I mean, I hear what you're saying because it's a weird idea. And it's not like I don't like it. It's just, I don't know. There's just something that strikes me as this is so bizarre. And I kind of like that it's so bizarre because it's like, you know how you have your concept of aliens and then like in TV shows, they're still very human. And like we see that with our main crew. Mm -hmm. They're all aliens. And yes, there are some alienist things that come through, but there's this fundamental humanity that is tying the story together. And this Mm -hmm. world just seems like it's, 10 steps outside of that it actually feels alien even mm-hmm. though it has all these callbacks to the to the judicial system in our countries and the western world i say western world because it's filmed in australia and you know writers yeah. from many countries are involved in the story but it feels outside of those story norms and i kind of like that it makes it feel very farscape and very weird and very out there yeah i hear what you're saying Yeah, and I think that that's kind of how I felt about it, too. And maybe it's just that I think I've seen it. Like like I said, like as soon as I started watching this episode, I was like, oh, my God, I remember everything about this episode. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Because I think I've seen it. I mean, I have to have seen it at least like three, maybe four times. But I mean, well, five times now. Okay, I watched it for the podcast. But at the same time, I, I I do probably the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, that's weird. But then, like, it is Farscape weird. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like yeah. sometimes Farscape does like weird, weird, where you're like, ooh, that was something you tried and it did not work, Farscape. And this is one of those times when I'm like, this is something you tried and I liked it, Farscape. Good job. Right. Good job. Yeah. So let's get back to the plot. So after after Zan says, okay, we have to give up and, and go, she tries to cross the street and a nefarious Litigaran lawyer changes the sign on her and she gets arrested for a traffic violation for jaywalking and gets locked up. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how this starts the whole ball rolling because they need a scapegoat and they have picked her because she's an off-worlder. Well, she's an off-worlder and also she's desperate. Like in the bar, mm-hmm. she's running around and like grabbing people and... 
and like she's super clearly desperate. So when her lawyer shows up to be like, okay, you know, you're an off-worlder. You didn't know our laws. If you get a good judge, you'll probably just be in prison for about 10 solar days, which given like the alternate possibilities in this planet where apparently like jaywalking is a 10 day offense. Like I'm like, oh, you should take that Zan. And like, <laughs> But Zan's kind of in a place where she's like, I cannot be locked up. And also, Moya probably wouldn't stick around for 10 days. So she actually grabs her lawyer and like strangles him. And Chihana is trying to be like, oh no, Zan. You can tell this is kind of at the beginning of season, we saw Chihana as like adult because everybody else was not adult, Mm -hmm. not being an adult. And you can tell that this is kind of the beginning of when Chihana was like, ooh, okay, I got to bring my A game now. Yeah. And I think... What I also like about her grabbing the lawyer from a character perspective is you're reminded that that Zan was in prison for a reason because she was a murderer. You know, she actually Mm -hmm. did murder somebody on her planet and that's why she was arrested by the peacekeepers. And so that violent streak of hers feels really appropriate when she's going back into prison. She's an ex-con who got arrested again. Yeah. And you can tell that like a lot of a lot of her reaction to the lawyer is actually a reaction to being back in prison. Yeah. That she's like, we got out of prison and now I'm back in prison and she like can't handle that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's, I think, okay, I want to go back to Chiana for a second because I just thought of something and I don't want to forget it. And this episode, like I said, it really is the beginning of her kind of being the grown up that we saw and the person decision maker that we saw, the leader that we saw at the beginning of season two. And so it, I don't know. It makes me think that like, Maybe she always has that in her, but that it's only her comfort that makes her not be that way. Like, like for example, with the Moya crew, she doesn't have to step it up. So she actually gets to be more childish since we've kind of talked about the fact that she's probably like a teenager or at best a early adult, which is, you know, I mean, Dargo, come on, dude. That's kind of a little bit gross, but you know, like I said, I'm supposed to not be that old either. Yeah, that's true. So maybe like (laughs) age wise, they're equal. I don't know. But so anyway, I don't know. It makes her character a little more interesting to me because I'm kind of like, if she is able to adult and if she is able to be the leader, then the fact that she kind of chooses to not be with the crew Mm kind of makes it seem like maybe she's just comfortable enough with them to let them decide for her do you know what I mean oh yeah definitely she only steps up when there is no other choice for her and otherwise she's content to let everybody else be in charge and given the strong personalities of Crichton and Aaron and Dargo Mm -hmm. they're all bossing each other around all the time anyway and so you know (laughs) it's like Chiana's strategy is just to get out of the way complain do what she wants to do, make them respond to her. And then when the chips are down, she'll come through. Yeah. So in the middle of the night, Zan has this vision and it's John, Aaron and Dargo and they're walking down in their season one costumes. And she starts getting really upset in a good way because they're finally here to relieve her. You know, it kind of feels like she's the, she's just been holding on until they're there and she just cannot wait to give up the pressure of command. And so I, I want to listen to it because it's sad and heartbreaking. What are you waiting for? Fire. You're here to rescue me. I need you here to rescue me. 
Yeah, you can really hear in her voice just the desperation that she has, that she needs to be out, and she needs for them specifically to come get her out because Aaron Dargo and John are the three people that she has relied on and has been able to rely on since escaping from the peacekeepers. Yeah. It's really hard because, like we said, Zan is definitely more of, like, the mediator, and she's more used to leading through... Not like manipulation, but anytime she has ideas, she usually convinces the others into this. Well, yeah, she's a cooperative leader with the others, but she mm-hmm. she has a hard time doing it on her own. Like she is a valued, she has a valued voice amongst the four of them, and they listen to her and they consider her ideas. So she's part of that, but doing it on her own is something else completely because she doesn't have to make the decisions usually on her own. Yeah, yeah, that's it exactly. Is like she's used to being one of four. And now she's one of one. And I don't know. Yeah, I can definitely see why they didn't make this the pilot, like the opener for Mm -hmm. season two. Because I'm like, if they had stretched out what happens to Aaron, John, and Durgo for like another episode, I'm sure they would have had riots, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But at the same time, it does say interesting things about the crew. Do you know what I mean? That like, that essentially we're like, oh, yeah, like Zan, Rigel, and Chiana, and Pilot, and Moya are kind of the B team. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. even in Zan's own mentality. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And so, so they aren't real, and she just starts to lose it. And then she has an interesting conversation with John. And I kind of want to chat a little bit after we listen to it about what John maybe represents to her. Yeah, because her, her ghost of John. Her ghost of John. Yeah, because, oh, yeah, because <laughs> Dargo, Aaron, and John don't actually come to rescue her. She is imagining them, <laughs> which kind of goes to her mental health at this moment in time. I wish you were really here. I need you so badly. The chances that we survive that you'd find us were 10 million to one. You knew that the moment you starburst away. And just refusing to accept it. Now you must. All this time since we escaped from the peacekeepers, I drew my strength from you and the others. Now I find myself incarcerated again without you to help me. I am so deeply alone. responsible for them and for Pilot and for Moya and for myself. Not without you. But it must be without us now. So there we get uh, a couple of things. And I, I kind of, I want to talk about one thing first and then I want to ask what do you think John represents? So there we explicitly have Zan calling Chiana and Rigel children. And her kind of seeing herself as having to be the leader. And I'm like, that is on one hand fair and unfair. Does that make sense? Because like we said, Chiana can step up and Chiana can be an adult. And Rigel used to be a dominar. (laughs) And so like these are both fully fledged people that are able to take care of themselves. 
But at the same time, I think the two of them, especially Rigel and Shiana, have kind of given the crew the impression that they are children that need to be taken care of. And so it's it's an interesting thing because you can kind of feel the pressure. It feels like the mother whose husband has left and now she has to take care of everybody and she just can't do it on her own is what is the feeling I kind of got from it. Yeah, that's totally the feeling I get from it too. It's the suddenly being bereft of her support system. And mm. and yet, well, yes, Rigel and Shiana are adults. You know, I totally get that feeling though. And I mean, there's the other thing about people, right? We make impressions of people and sometimes based on their actions and sometimes it's really hard to shake even when there's new evidence. And I think with Chiana, like she has started to, like she helped deliver Talon, Moya's baby. But Zan was down on the planet when that happened. She was on the gamut mm. base with Dargo helping get John and Aaron out of there. So when she does step up, she hasn't been like visible to the others necessarily. So they mm-hmm. still have that impression of her being, she's the teenager. She's the wild one. She's been running around the universe. You know, all those, all those more youthful traits are still kind of, I think what the others have been still exposed to the most. And with Rigel, mm-hmm. I mean, Rigel's all over the place. He's greedy. He acts for himself. He's got very simplistic needs often. And his moments of things coming out as him being responsible are very few and far between. And so I can definitely see that impression of them lingering. Yeah. And then also the, the ghosts of John, Aaron and Dargo each, each come to mean very different things. And when I first listened to this quote, I had a little bit of a hard time touching on what John represented. Do you have any ideas? Because Aaron and Dargo are pretty clear, and I want to listen to the quotes in a second. Yeah, but John, I, I don't know. I actually had the same problem because I was thinking about that too. But yeah, he's the hardest to pin down, and this is what I kind of came up with. He's the one in her head who's the one who's reporting like these really hard facts. Like he gives her the odds of. You knew the odds of finding us were like 10,000 to one or 10 million to one. And, you know, so he's speaking truth to her. And like, this is your situation right now. It's a terrible situation. You knew it was going to be hard. You've got Rigel and Shiana on your side now. And even though she's discounting that, he's still the one pointing that out. And so I feel like he's the ghost of Christmas present. Like, Mm. this is your situation of what it is right now. Here are the assets you have to deal with the situation. And at the same time, he's saying that in his very calm, very kind of comforting way. Like he's still, the ghost of him is still clearly there for her mm-hmm. as a as a friend. And it's like this is this is a hard situation, but but you you can kind of do this. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my read on it. I don't know what that means in terms of like, I don't know in terms of the emotions that she is holding on to. Like what emotion is he representing? And so maybe it's like the reality around her and her not wanting to confront it. Yeah. I don't know. He's hard. That one was the hardest one to parse. Yeah. I think that, yeah, you kind of hit on it with maybe her loneliness and her kind of her struggle mm-hmm. and maybe just him being the one, cause she'd already faced reality in the sense that she told them way back at the beginning of the episode, it's time for us to move on. We need to, we need to get kind of give up on, on the yeah. three of them, you know, but at the same time, he is the one that is also kind of like, hey, you knew this was a long shot. It didn't work out. You know, you kind of have to face it now and you have to be the adult and you have to move on, which is which are things that she already knows because she clearly already is being the adult mm-hmm. and she already is moving on, but it's different hearing it. It's part of her processing of it, I think, still. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think I just want to play the trio of quotes together. So after, and there's plot that happens in the middle, which we're going to get to because, oh my God, it is excellent. (laughs) But after she's visited by John, the next night she's visited by Aaron. And this one is, is a lot harder. I think it's interesting to listen to, number one, for what Aaron is saying, but also for number two, what Aaron herself, I think, represents to Zan. Please don't do this to me. wish you you're not really here you're just a figment of my imagination why'd you leave us Anne? I didn't leave you few more microts and we all could have been aboard Moya we all could have starburst to safety together you told me to go if Moira had been captured, we would have all perished. I came back for you. I've been searching. Yeah, so that's Aaron accusing Zan of abandoning them. And it's to me, this is very clearly Zan's guilt at leaving. Like, they had mm-hmm. no choice because they were under attack, but she so desperately wants them to have not done it. Even though she's defending her actions here, she very clearly feels that guilt. And even... Like her unreasonable guilt. Do you know what I mean? Like even she cognitively understands that, no, if we'd raided a few more microts, they would not have been able to get to us. Yeah. But at the same time, I think what's also interesting when you look at that is if John represents her rock and kind of someone she can lean on and someone whose loss is palpable to her, then maybe Aaron as a person, like real Aaron, not just imaginary Aaron, represents... I don't know, like possibilities Mm -hmm. because in the way we weren't, we kind of talked about, well, what did they all think she was doing? But maybe on some level, Aaron so fundamentally reminds Zan of her past that like she actually does constantly remind Zan of, of the darkness that's in her and of all, like all the possibilities that are in her. I don't know if I'm, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. I I still kind of struggle with that one. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, listening to it again, that, that Aaron is the what if, that represents Mm. the what if she's kind of like the the ghost of christmas future Mm -hmm. like what if you had stayed what if you had given us those few more microts we could have all lived happily ever after Mm -hmm. it's all the self-doubt that zan is feeling right now it's eating away at her and that's manifested in aaron even though she's like she has to defend her position to justify living with it you know Mm -hmm. and as aaron the person it's like it's hard for me to say because because uh Zan and Aaron don't actually interact. I mean, they interact, but they don't actually interact as much as some of the other characters interact with each other. Mm -hmm. So it's the two of them. It's sometimes hard to read the relationship that they have. Yeah. Yeah. And because it can, I mean, Aaron in mind, the baby Aaron comes in and Aaron is the one that speaks truth in a way that Zan can hear when no one else will speak truth in a way she can hear. And then in the way we weren't, Again, Aaron kind of represents something to Zan that when confronted, Zan is like, oh, yeah, I mean, I understand that you actually yeah. aren't this evil, you know, supervillain. So I don't know, maybe maybe that does leave Aaron as kind of this like empty space for Zan where she can project onto Aaron. Because, I mean, the Aaron in her vision is a lot meaner than Aaron would be in real life. You yeah, know what I mean, definitely. Maybe in real life, Zan kind of can let Aaron be like a projection of what she wants her to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And then the Dargo one. Dargo one's really sweet. 
got yourself into quite a fix without me. <laughs> Sweet doggo. It's not the first time you've had to endure a cell like this. It's not the first time you've had to experience this sense of hopelessness. You survived with that. In fact, you flourished. I had the Delphian seek. My spiritual quest was the only thing that stopped myself from shattering while imprisoned by the peacekeepers. But I have set aside the seek. Set aside my place as a Delphian Pa'u. You set them aside, yes, but you haven't abandoned them. Sam. Crichton. Aaron and I, we... We can't help you anymore. Whether you survive this ordeal or face your execution tomorrow, from now on you must confront your demons alone. I don't know if I have the strength to start again, Dago. I have known thousands of warriors from countless worlds. But you, Satazen, Individual I have ever known. Aww. Yeah. Dargo is really sweet in that one in her head, and I just I just love it. Yeah. And I think that he kind of calls her back to her faith, which is her strength, you know? And yeah. She, I mean she's even though she's gave up the Sikh at this point, the Sikh was what gave her strength in prison and he's the one that kind of calls her back to it. And, you know, if John represents the steadiness of, of her companions and if John represents her support network and Aaron represents kind of her guilt, then I think Dargo just represents like her past, but in a positive way, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like Dargo represents her inner, her inner steel. Yeah. The strength that got her through prison in the first place. And it's a really lovely thing. And it's, it hurts too, because she's like, you know, I don't know if I can do that again. And it was so hard the first time, but he's reminding her that she did get through it the first time. And I think because he was also a prisoner, that's mm-hmm. the other part of him being the ghost of Christmas past with her. And this is where you were. This is what you have to do to get through it again. And you can do it. And it's, I don't know, the way he says it and with the, the thing about her being stronger than any warrior he's ever known. Oh, that gets me. I know. Uh, the Dargo one is so good. And then they like have this really sweet, sweet kiss at the end, you mm-hmm. know, that that calls back to the first episode almost. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Yeah. But so after she talks to Dargo, you can tell that she's kind of accepted her fate and she goes back to, to the Seek. Yeah, she goes back to the Seek, but it's, it's more than that. It's She's blocking out the rest of the world now, though. And mm-hmm. that's the state that we find her in in Mind the Baby, where she is detached herself from the real world and reality around her. Mm-hmm. And that's her coping mechanism. It's like she almost went too far. Yeah, she took what could have been just a comfort. And now it's like, okay, Zan, like, <laughs> like, like this isn't healthy, girl. And actually, there's a sweet scene where she's meditating and she's not aware of anything going on around her. And Rigel has his hand in hers, his like little tiny hand in her hand, and he's holding her hand, and Shiana catches him at it, and he immediately grabs his hand back. I mean, right. He's like, he, he doesn't want anyone to know that he cares about her. Which actually, Zan is on trial now for murder, because the evil, nefarious lawyer came and 
set her free, but made it look like a prison break. And Suzanne runs away because she does not want to be in prison. And she runs straight into a murdered body. (laughs) Yep. And gets arrested for the murder and is put on trial for it. So the thing with the the litigation system on Litigara is that the lawyers that they have cannot lie or have any appearance of impropriety or cheating or anything like that. So they have to be very truthful in what happens. And because of the, the framing, the fact of the matter is her her court-appointed lawyer her defense counsel who's native you know he doesn't see a way out of it so he's like she's guilty we're gonna plead guilty you're gonna go to trial so let's get into the courtroom drama because (laughs) that's really what this episode is is a courtroom drama that's the trope it's a weird one but it's what it is by the way you just saying it i just realized the name of the planet is litigara like litigation yeah Yeah. and i'm like i cannot believe it took me five watches to understand that (laughs) yeah that's why yeah those translator microbes. <laughs> so yeah, so here's the opening scene from the courtroom drama. And so you, we'll open with the judge and you can kind of hear how serious this all is. And then Zan and how, how broken up she is. We convene in the name of that which is most holy, the supreme lord of the land. Quite true. Amit. Amit. The off-worlder is aware of the charges for which she has been brought before this court. She is, Your Honor. Having examined the evidence and eyewitness accounts of the events of evening last, and after weighing all such admissions, this court... Does it not matter that I am innocent? Are you entering a plea of not guilty? I am guilty of so many evils, you... Your Honor, but of this infraction, I must protest my innocence. So it's this very formal, they've got all these rules that go along with with it. I mean, as you can imagine, it's a very, very rule-oriented place. But it's supposed to be an open and shut case. Like, Mm -hmm. the evidence is there, she was framed, there's no counter-argument for that. And because she doesn't agree with her lawyer, or her lawyer doesn't agree with her about her innocence, then, you know, tough noogies. Zan's gonna be executed or whatever the punishment is. Yeah, ten like I think she's executed in ten solar days or something like that. Something or three like solar that. days. Yeah, yeah. And I think what's interesting to me about this is that the is the idea that there is a supreme truth because mm-hmm. I think one of the things that our law system kind of gets at is that the truth can be kind of flexible and you know the truth isn't always the same from one person to another. But on Litigara, apparently there is one truth mm-hmm. because the idea of a lawyer not lying or the idea of a lawyer not manipulating. Yeah. It kind of defeats the point of having a lawyer. Do you right. know what I mean? If you're not going to have somebody to actually advocate for you. Yeah. So Zan's lawyer ends up not agreeing to defend her and the judge says, okay, so if you want to be innocent, you need another lawyer. And what I find really sweet is that in the intervening silence and then right before the judge says, okay, case closed, both Rigel and Shiana kind of speak up and they say, yeah, we'll do it. And then Shiana's the one who kind of takes the initiative because she can walk quickly. So now the throne's led. And goes up and is uh, like, yeah, we'll be your lawyer. And Zan's furious. Zan is like, no, you are my kid. You are going to get your ass back home, back to Boya. You are not putting yourself in danger for me. And it's just this whole, like, she's trying to protect. Chiana's trying to protect Zan. And Zan's trying to protect Chiana. Because the lawyer, lawyer can suffer the same fate as the 
client. It's the client, right. And it's just, oh, all these feelings, right, on that little scene that they have together. I know, right? And especially given what we said about both Rigel and Chiana kind of being more out for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, they're two characters that really know how to, like, save themselves first. You know, they are the people that, like, put the life jacket on yourself first. Yeah. Put the air mask on yourself first. And here they're like, no, we got to save you. And then the next day, Zan actually, after she talks to imaginary Aaron, Zan actually pleads guilty. You know, Mm -hmm. she's like, I did it. I did it. I did it. You know, just let them go because she right. doesn't want to have more blood on her hands, more right. blood than Aaron Dargo and Zan or Aaron Dargo and John's. And it's actually Rigel who kind of steps up. And this reminds me in some ways of Exodus from Genesis, mm-hmm. because you get to see Rigel playing to his strengths, which is as an, as an orator. And, you know, as somebody that somebody that actually does know how to lawyer, you know, a little bit finagle, mm-hmm. a little bit politic. Yes. Yes. So he asks for Zan to be gagged because she's incriminating herself. And the court does it, you know, at his request. And then we get the lawyering part, which is... (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So funny. So Rigel is a politician, is a Hydrian Dominor, was. But because he is also the one who's out for himself... He does not take to the uh, you-can't-lie thing very well. So I actually want to play a quick clip of... Chiana having to explain to Rigel that they cannot lie and it is delicious and self-aware and Farscape I love you as a TV show. If we put on a defense that includes falsehoods or uh, or can in any way be construed as bad faith then we share the same punishment as our client. You never told me that. How could you never tell me that? I, I thought we might even pull this off but you and me not lying. I am mad. God, I demand to see the judge. Rigel, it's done. The way it lays out now is either we're all leaving this planet together, or none of us are. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, but I also love that little bit at the end with Chiana because, you know, we're all leaving together or none of us are because it's very much a solidarity moment with Zan who doesn't want them to be there. She wants them to leave her. And she's like, no, we're we're together on this. And it's just so, it's oh, it's so great. And I love like I love Rigel's horror where he was kind of like, you know, if we had you, know, if we could lie, we might be able to get out of this. But us not lying, you and me not lying. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So uh, Rigel really has a lot of trouble with this at first. So I'm going to play one of his scenes in court where he's cross-examining the medical examiner, and it's not going very well. <laughs> I don't understand how you can call yourself an expert when we know for a fact that the time of death couldn't be when you said because you cannot lie. Actually, my question goes to the cause of death. Would it shock you to know that we have experts of our own who are prepared to testify that when we... No questions, Your Honor. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, Rigel, you got to get your game together. Yeah, and like the first day of the trial actually is terrible. It just goes so badly. I mean, and this is kind of a fairly a very typical narrative arc where it's like at first they're terrible and then they get good and then there's a climax and you know it's it's a yeah. nice arc, but it's still so much pleasure to watch the first day <laughs> of their trial because they're just so bad at it. Yeah. And I did grab this clip, but um, when Chiana is doing the next cross examination, Rigel farts helium and their voices go really high pitched. Which is hilarious because like she actually kind of did seem like she was on a good line of questions. Yeah. And then she was completely derailed by by the helium voice, which takes away all sorts of authority. <laughs> <laughs> but so it turns out that the guy that Zan is accused to have murdered is a utilities rights activist. And the utilities are the 10% of the planet that is not lawyers. And they apparently they don't have any rights, which is hilarious on a planet that is about your legal rights. And so actually they get a hint from the barkeeper that they met at the very mm-hmm. beginning of the episode because he is a utility. And you kind of get the feeling that he and probably the rest of the utilities understand that Zan did not kill the guy (laughs) that she's accused to have killed and he ends up helping them out a lot yeah so he he gives them like here's the one book you need you don't need all these law textbooks here's this one really slim volume that has the basis of our of our law that you can use to to do the court thing to lawyer (laughs) (laughs) to lawyer there we go and then while they're at the bar Chiana sees one of the witnesses who is one of the police officers that arrested Zan and he has a moon burn on his face because he has blue eyes and they're genetically predisposed to get burned by the moon and that's kind of where the crux of the case comes from because the dead litigarin the victim also has blue eyes but did not have a moon burn so so that's where the second day of lawyering comes in when they cross-examine so chiana pumped the cop for information the night before and of course got very drunk in the process and so she is like head on the table the next morning in court and rigel gives her three pick-me-up pills one to take in the morning one to take at lunch and one if you really need it and this is what (laughs) happens you testified yesterday that Mr. San, the defendant, Mr. San, Mr. Soto, Zan, the woman standing right there, right there. Do you see her? Because I see her. Do you see her? She escaped during your shift. Is that correct? Is it? Yes, ma'am, that's correct. And that you also stated that she escaped during a very short, very small, mm-hmm. very minimal interval in which you and your guards or you and your, your guard buddies were, were switching shifts or changing shifts, taking a leak, someone mm-hmm. going on, someone going off. Okay, so if I were to... <clears throat> Your Honor, may I have a word with my co-counsel? Please do. <laughs> you took all three of the pills, didn't you? Oh, you have, you have no idea how frazzled off I felt. No idea. <laughs> oh my gosh. So she is high as a kite as she is going along and doing the cross-examination. It's great. But yeah, I think it's one of the iconic scenes of this episode. I just love, I just, oh my gosh. I just love when she's like, Miss Zotazan, this, the defendant, Miss Zan, Miss Zotazan, do you see her over there? Because I see her. And she's like pointing and like looking back and forth really fast. And like, and there's uh, nowhere that Zan could be hiding. She is clearly in the middle of the room. <laughs> And like, oh my gosh, Gigi, how do you say her last name? Edgley? Edgley, yeah. She's like amazing in this scene. She's, I mean, she's a good actress. Like I enjoy her acting, but like, this is a scene where I'm like, oh my gosh, you rocked it. You know, (laughs) you just killed it, girl. 
Yeah. So anyways, so Chiana and Rigel end up getting down a line of questioning that actually does cast some doubt on whether or not Zan did it because they, they point out that, you know, this other guy that had blue eyes had, had a burn and the victim who also had blue eyes was not burned, which kind of implies that he was not alive when Zan found him. And, and so then she gets picked up by the evil, the evil corporate law firm that is in charge of the planet, the ruling law firm. And she is threatened by them. And they say, you're not going to continue this. Zan is going to go to prison and we will let you leave. If you continue down this line of questioning, you and Rigel are going to be, you know, either imprisoned for life or killed on this planet also. Right. And Chiana had, at, right before she got kidnapped, been pleading with Pilot to stay. She'd been pleading with Pilot that Moya needed to stay. Moya needed to stay. And Moya was like, no, I want to go look for Talon. Yeah, Chiana's pretty shaken up by it because she's, she thinks that Moya is actually going to leave now and that they're they're going to be out of luck and they're going to have no time. So here's the conversation when she comes back. And meanwhile, Rigel has been doing some research of his own in the, in the small book that he was given. And Rigel has a plan. Rigel has a plan. And a good one. Oh my gosh. I know. How often does that happen? All right, Never. <laughs> I am here, Chiana. Moya has chosen to give you a little more time. Thank you, Pilot. Do not thank me. It's entirely her doing. Your comms were open all the while you were speaking with that man, that Jar Ruman. She could not leave you like that. Moya wants to know. I want to know. If you stay, will you be able to save Zan? It's chancy and will require lashings of deception and trickery. Finally, you and I get to play to our strengths. <laughs> so they're like, all right, time to throw this rule book out the window and go back to what we're good at. Yeah, I just love that because... I, I love the two of them finally being able to do what they're good at. Do you know what I mean? Like, like Chiana and Rigel mm-hmm. way back when Rigel was like, you and me telling the truth. What? You know, they're not good at <laughs> truth telling. They are not good at playing by the rules <laughs> as we saw in the Budong episode, because like Rigel can't even, che- you know, <laughs> Rigel can't even play gambling without cheating. I don't know. Yeah. The other thing I really like about that is Moya and Pilot coming mm-hmm. around. You know, like they've been part of the problem here with this time pressure because they want to leave, they want to leave, they want to leave. And here they're like, okay, we got to set aside that and we got to pull together and get set yeah. off. And I really love that it's finally everybody of the whole Moya crew coming together again mm-hmm. to save Zan. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so they end up, there's this, and it's so funny because like there's this, line in the book about the light of truth and Mm -hmm. it's kind of funny because Chiana breaks a chair and she holds it up to Ja Ruman's face and she's like this is going to be the light of truth you know Rigel's like this is going to be the light of truth and Ja Ruman's like it's a metaphor you guys like it's not a real light (laughs) and then Rigel's like are you saying your book isn't right and they get Pilot and Moya to to basically focus a beam of light right on the stick. Don't which, ask too many questions. 
Don't ask too many questions about that. <laughs> Through a building. Anyway, okay, that happens. And so so what they do is they have the line of questioning about, you know, who really killed Zan and, and basically manipulating it so that the light of truth lights up when he's lying about the not being involved and not framing Zan and all these things. And so he ends up losing the case and they get Zan off. Which is, yay. It is really dramatic. Really dramatic. <laughs> so good. I don't know. It's so good. It's so satisfying. Yeah, right? That's what I'm saying. It's like, I, I think that like the B plot or like, you know, the non-emotional plot in this episode just makes sense to me. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, yeah. evil law firm benefits from killing this utilities rights activist, frame somebody for it, but then, ah, they win. Yeah. Yay. You know, and yeah. like the evidence makes yeah. sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's non-complicated. It's very simple and straightforward. And I think that's one of the nice things about it, because as I was saying earlier, it's very clean, Mm -hmm. and that gives the rest of the characters space to do their emotional stuff. And that's really important for an episode like this. Yeah, it's kind of like the Zan stuff isn't crowded by, by like, a plot that's confusing. Because, I mean, this actually comes on the, you know, on the heels of Picture, if you will, where I'm kind of like, where in that episode, like, we barely got any Zan stuff, even though technically it should have been a Zan episode. Yeah, it didn't feel like she was carrying it the way she definitely carries this episode. So good, good overall. I love Rigel and Shiana playing to their strengths. And like we said, they usually end up kind of being like the help rather than the main instigators of plot does that make sense like mm-hmm. like if they need to mm-hmm. you know if they need Chiana to frell someone into submission it's like she's like the helper to the plot and not she's yeah, the, the distraction, distraction. and yeah. here it was like she and Rigel really got to like bring their a game their own version of a game yeah <laughs> and it's really satisfying because it is something you don't always they don't always get to do so what'd you give this episode oh my gosh a five I love this episode <laughs> I think I'd go with a four, but I like it a lot, too. Yeah. And uh, in terms of wardrobe watch, we have their season one costumes because, as I said, this was filmed really early on and it was meant to come at the beginning of season two. And I guess the last note I have is like for the framing Mm -hmm. of it. It's kind of really sweet between John Mm -hmm. and Zan, who are at the end. Zan thanks John for his compassion and he, you know, thanks her for hers just as a kind of general it's a really great little moment between yeah. the two of them i want to point out something about john it's gonna be pretty brief i got some rather pointed commentary on how i've been treating john and i do want to point out that i do understand that at the end of season one john did get head trauma and so i understand that a lot of his early season two reactions are probably a result of having brain trauma so sorry if it sounds like I've been a little rough on John I still do love our boy so I just want to put that out there that you know yeah all right okay so if you want to get in contact with us we are first get Friday podcast at gmail tumblr twitter dream with and next week we will be doing out of their minds yeah I know right Love this episode. All right. Have a good time out there and we'll see you next week.